Please now open your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. Um, We are continuing our series straight through the book as we do here uh, at Hope. We are at the end of Acts chapter 11. I think that's page uh, 1170 if you're using the Blue Church Bibles that you have uh, in front of you. We're starting at verse 19, uh, taking it down to the end of the chapter. Uh, Hear now the reading of God's word. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I apologize for, for no outline today, but the, uh, the way we're going to uh, look at the passages is very, very simple. We're going to look at three statements that are in the passage. Uh, including this one where, for the first time, uh, the disciples, we, are called Christians. And then we're going to look at how these statements are still relevant for all of us today. And so here they are. We're going to look at the statement that the hand of the Lord was with them. We're going to look at the statement uh, that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And then finally, that, that one statement, the disciples were first called Christians. Those are the three that we're going to look at. The hand of the Lord was with them, the preaching of the Lord Jesus, and the disciples were first called Christians. So first look at the, the one, uh, this idea that the hand of the Lord was, was with them. And that, that phrase of the hand of the Lord has confused people, uh, throughout the years. Some people have understood this to mean that some Christians have the hand of the Lord, and some other Christians do not. Uh, uh, to put it another way, that there's a group of Christians over here that are, we might say anointed, but there's another group of Christians over here, go by the name Christian, they confess Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're not. The question is, is that right? Now certainly the hand of the Lord isn't something that's earned, and the phrase isn't used in the passage for one group of Christians, but not another. No, it says right there in the passage that the hand of the Lord was with all who believed. All who believe. This is simply a description of God's people, true of God's people in all times and in all places. 
in, in fact, Jesus tells his disciples before his ascension that I, I will never leave you. More than that he won't leave them, he won't forsake them. And then when he's with the disciples in the upper room, remember he told his followers, I will never leave you as orphans. I will always be with you. The hand of the Lord is with you. The promise of God's presence presence isn't isn't even unique to Jesus and to the New Testament. We we, we think of God's appearances in the in, in the theophanies, the remember the burning bush and the, 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 the pillar of the cloud. So let's take a minute then to look at what this statement does not mean. Let me say here, some of my thinking um, is relying on, on, on a brother and, and, and pastor uh, that I appreciate, Ken Jones, who's a Reformed Baptist preacher in Miami. <clears throat> uh, the hand of the Lord was with them does not mean that there will never be persecution for God's people. The hand of the Lord upon God's people does not mean that the people of the Lord will not be persecuted. Uh, 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 the context of the passage will tell you that Mike Johnson uh, read for us that Stephen was both persecuted and killed. And then after the death of Stephen and with the promise, of, of course, there in Jerusalem of more killings, of more followers uh, of Jesus, uh, the, the church scattered. And, and, and so would we say that Stephen did not have the hand of the Lord upon him? When he's able to have a, a vision of, of what's happening at the right hand of the Father and sees Jesus, that he doesn't have the hand of the Lord of Jesus upon him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, 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 these, the, the people that are scattered here that we're reading about in our very chapter here in, in, in chapter 11, they've been scattered. You, you can bet that they would all like to go home. They don't want to be where they are. And yet here they are. Would we say, as they preach Jesus, that they don't have the hand of the Lord upon him? No, we wouldn't. No, we would not. Would we say that brothers and sisters across the world who would lose their property, lose their home, it's still happening today, lose their lives for, 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 for their faithfulness to the gospel, for their faithfulness to say, I am a Christian. Would we say that they do not have the hand of the Lord upon them? No. So that the hand of the Lord with God's people cannot and does not mean the absence of persecution. It does. It doesn't mean the absence of, of, of discomfort, or that you won't be uprooted, or that you won't be scattered, or that you won't be a refugee. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that the Lord is with you at all times? Do you understand that the Lord is with you at all times? Do you understand that in trials, the hand of the Lord is with you? Do you understand when you didn't get the job that you wanted, that, that the hand of the Lord is with you? Do you understand that what your body gives out, that the hand of the Lord is with you? Do you understand that when you lose your voice and you cannot perform, that the hand of the Lord is with you? Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons that there is no end to the business of false miracles, the false miracle business, is because we as Christians are not sure that the hand of the Lord is always with us. That's why they stay in business. We are looking, you see, for the hand of the Lord in the wrong place. 
because the hand of the Lord is always with us. Um, th- th- there's a funny thing that happens in, in my home with some regularity because I'm the old guy that I am, but you, maybe it happens in your house too. Where are my glasses? And then someone much younger than I am says, they haven't left you. <laughs> you know, you're wearing them, right? My glasses are, are, are with me. The hand of the Lord is always with you. And a lot of us are, are, are asking, we're in trials and we're suffering and we're struggling or, or, you know, even if we're having a great day and everything's, you know, fantastic, we're asking, is the hand of the Lord with me in this good thing? Is the hand of the Lord with me in this bad thing? The hand of the Lord is always with you. That was the promise at your baptism. That has not changed. The hand of the Lord is always with you. The Bible says that. Right? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Because the hand of the Lord is always with you. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Because the hand of the Lord is always with you. You're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body, the death of Jesus for you, because the hand of the Lord is with you. And so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies, because the resurrection is always with it. The hand of the Lord is always with you. Always with you. With us. Number two, this connects to the second statement I'd like us to look at, preaching the Lord Jesus. That's what the the statement is. That's what they were doing. Because if you look at um, the, the map, and I've been doing this now and again, putting a map on the reflections page in the back of your bulletin if you want to uh, just check that out. Th- th- these people that were scattered that, that at, at, at the end of uh, the narrative there about Stephen, we now pick up the action here. And, and they've been scattered, it looks like, mostly northward. Uh, converts who moved out of Jerusalem after Stephen was stoned to death and then onto Judea, onto Samaria, and uh, and now northward along the Mediterranean to Antioch. Now, Antioch <clears throat> is quite a big city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire, uh, third only to uh, Rome itself and then Alexandria. It's the capital of the Roman province of, of, of Syria. And apparently along the way, as they made their way north, uh, having to leave Jerusalem, they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some Jewish believers, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were also moving to Antioch as, as well. And they were sharing the word with non-Jews who were idol worshipers and not sympathetic to Judaism. In other words, not just people who who uh, had an attraction to Judaism, and there were people like that in, 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 in those days. You know, you do have the court of the Gentiles, and so people that are attracted to 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 the to the God of, of Israel and and what He's about and so forth. But no, they're actually preaching Christ to people who have no affinity for Judaism, don't have the categories, don't have the stories, maybe don't even have the concepts of sin and 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 and, and redemption and a Messiah that was promised. Don't have any of that, and yet people are coming to Jesus. In fact, um, these these were Greek speaking. These men men from Cyrene and Cyprus so that the people that they could communicate the best to were a Greek-speaking audience. And so that's what they did. They were, they were talking to these Hellenists. So you notice here that these men refer to Jesus not as Messiah, which is the way Jesus has been referred to so far in chapter 2, and chapter 5, and chapter 8, and chapter 9, because that would have been incomprehensible to a Greek speaker in a town city like Antioch. So they used the word Lord. 
They use the word Lord. And because they know these men from Cyprus and Cyrene that Jesus is God and they want everyone to turn away from false gods and the one true God, that's what they do. They preach the Lord Jesus. And because they preach, because of the hand of the Lord, of course, was with them, these conversions and then are, are, are attributed to God. He's the one that's doing it. God is converting them. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the scattered group of believers and those joining in from Cyprus and Cyrene. They are essentially moving the church. Maybe not by plan. Maybe that's not what they intended because, of course, they were scattered. But they're essentially moving the church. The epicenter of the church is moving 300 miles north to Antioch. Remember, as, as Mike read for us, the, the, they scattered except for the disciples at the time, but, but, but the, they're moving. They're on the move. And, uh, and, and this is still happening today. You know, if I ask some of us of a certain age, like my age or older, because, uh, you know, our, our, our ideas sometimes get a little crusty and, and stuck in, in, in gear. You know, if I asked you, where's the epicenter of Christianity? I mean, I, I think some of us would say, um, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the American South. Maybe a city like Dallas, maybe London. But no, no, the, 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 the epicenter of the church has changed. The epicenter of the church is in places today like Nairobi, like Manila, and, 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 and some cities in China that I wouldn't want to say for recording on the tape because who knows, could, could get it? Because we, we love those brothers and sisters there, right? But, but the, the epicenter of, of, of the, of, of, of Christianity is moved to, because, because the, the, the scattering, you see, the church, God is still doing it. He's still spreading the gospel out. And every tribe, tongue, and nation is, is, is hearing about the gospel. So the epicenter is changing. In fact, one of the reasons that it's changing is the fact that in places like China and Manila, people there are doing a better job of preaching Jesus. There are more, if you'll allow me, you know, uh, more evangelical preachers, more, 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 more Bible teaching preachers in China, in places that you never know, being preached by people you never heard of than there are in this country. There are. And so the epicenter of Christianity is, 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 is changing because that's where Jesus is being preached. Preaching Jesus is the one thing that only the church can do so that the thrust, the focus, the vision of any church should be centered around the propagating of the gospel of Jesus. Now look, I, 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 this is me talking and not the text necessarily, but, but it's by inference in the text. I think the wording there is intentional. Because this has probably happened to you where you've, you've, you, maybe you've gone to a church and, and, and it, it seems solid and the word is opened and the, 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 the scriptures are read and, and the homily, something is a, you know, they're expounded from the word and the ideas seem to come from the word. But you know, you can preach from the Bible and not preach Jesus. You can preach from the Bible and not preach Jesus. And you know what we mean by that. Uh, you, you can take the, the Bible fairly seriously, at least as a jumping off point. But, but preaching Jesus is this. Everything that God in his holiness and his law commands and requires, preaching Jesus is the solution to the problem that that law and holiness draws out. You see? That, that whatever the Bible exposes as our failure for what God has called us to be and to do, only the preaching of Jesus can fix that. So the, so the words are specific 
It's not just preaching. It's not just preaching from the Bible. It's preaching Jesus. Now, why is that? Why, 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 why is it all centered on that? Three things. Number one, it's the preaching of Jesus that the hand of the Lord uses to bring people to faith. We're told that the preaching, preaching Jesus is what causes people to, to believe. Now, these people had an, think about it, these people had an extraordinary testimony. Here they were, they were in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Stephen is killed and they, and they were able to escape. But when they get to Antioch, their testimony is not, wow, it was really rough there being a Jesus follower in, in, in Jerusalem. But now we're kept safe here and our God is the one that keeps us safe. Now, that's true, and praise God that he did, as we just said, that, you know, even in trials, the hand of the Lord is with you. But when it actually came to telling people about what it is they believe, they preached Jesus. They preached Jesus. It's preaching Jesus that causes belief. A great number here believe, which means this, we must be the unashamed. We must be the unashamed. We must be unashamed to preach Jesus. It's just what Peter said in chapter 4, remember before the Sanhedrin. There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name in heaven given among men which uh, we must be saved. Peter could have talked to the Sanhedrin about you know, the, uh, Mary and the women that, that saw the tomb being empty. He could have talked about the trials that he and the, the twelve went through and the miracles that they saw. But no, he's there busy preaching Jesus. If you want salvation, Sanhedrin, who say that you know the way to the sand, to, to salvation, let me tell you, there is no other way than the Jesus that we're preaching. So we preach Jesus. That's why I'm in trouble with you, but that's what we do because that's, there is no other way we have to preach Jesus. The point is this, because it is the preaching of Jesus that the hand of the Lord uses to put the hand of the Lord on someone, that when we preach Jesus, whoever Jesus would have, he will claim, right? When I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that every time you preach Jesus or you share Jesus with somebody, that everyone's going to be attracted to Jesus. But when he is lifted up, everyone that he draws to himself will be drawn. So preach Jesus. And that's why you get that kind of funny sentence in the middle there. A great number who believe turn to the Lord. Well, of course, people who turn to the Lord would believe. Why else would you turn to the Lord if you don't? But, but you see, once you preach Jesus, once you get faithed, you faith, right? Once you believe, you believe. Because that's what happens when you preach Jesus. Uh, I, I mentioned Ken Jones before. He, he says, if you try to bring people to Jesus with pizza parties, you're going to run out of pizza. <laughs> and it is a great thing to have a church with good coffee. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? Right? But sometimes you're going to run out of coffee. So preach Jesus. Number two, it's the preaching of Jesus that causes the grace of God to be reflected in his people. Look at verses 22 and 23. The report of this, that is the belief in Jesus, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Now, think about that. That's kind of a strange phrase when you think about it. Why and how does Barnabas see the grace of God? Because the grace of God is located in Jesus. (laughs) That's where it is. Preaching Jesus has placed these saints 
in the grace of God, such that when Barnabas goes there, he sees the grace of God in the hearts of the people there, and he recognizes it for what it is. And it all comes because you preach Jesus. You know, I love this because even though the disciples are scattered, think about that, far and wide, they did not have, at, at this point, they don't really have, you know, creeds and councils, and they don't have, you know, wonderful systematic theologies. They don't have Lifeway bookstores, right? How are they staying on the same page? They don't even have a New Testament to take around. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and we've always played when we were kids, we, we, we played the sort of whisper down the lane thing, right? So I, 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 you know, I say something up here and I say it to Ed. And by the time it gets to Chun in the back there, like what I said to Ed is all twisted by the time it gets to Chun. How did, how did all these people scattered, right? How did they all stay on the same page since, such that they were bound together such that when Barnabas went to a place, he could recognize the same grace of God with this people as that people. And I'll tell you why. It was very simple. One word. He pre- they preached Jesus. So that when Ed hears it, when it gets back to Chun, it's still one word, it's Jesus. That's how they stayed on the same page. That's how Barnabas sees the grace of God. Because where does the grace of God come from but Jesus, you see? And then three, look at how grace grows through the preaching of Jesus. It says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to, to, to all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You know, sometimes when, when, when Pastor Sean or I are up here, we'll, we'll share a favorite book and, or, or something like that that has meant a lot to us. And, and, and there's a, the, there, there's a, a, a devotional book that, that I came across. I can't remember who was the first one to tell me about it. It's, 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 it's out of print, but you can buy a facsimile of it. And it's got by an old, old, old pastor named uh, James Smith. And that the quote I'm going to look at here is on the back of your bulletin, on that, again, on that reflections page. It was written in 1842, and it's called uh, the, the, the Christian or the Believer's Daily Remembrancer. Uh, that, that, that's sort of an old Englishy way of saying a, a Christian's daily devotional. Your remembrancer, so that you can remember uh, the, the, the gospel, you see. And, and here's what Smith says about this very verse here. He says, every believer is united to Christ. He is one with him. Jesus is the vine. He is the branch. Jesus is the husband. He is the bride. Satan's design is to lure him from the Lord. He knows well he can do little or nothing while the Christian cleaves to Jesus. Oh, then, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Verse 23, cleave to his truth. See, preach Jesus to yourself and then grow in his grace. Cleave to his people, to his ordinances, to his word and to his throne. Think of Jesus as the affectionate child thinks of his beloved father, as the tender bride thinks of her devoted bridegroom, as the wayworn traveler thinks of his cheerful home. Let Jesus be uppermost in your thoughts. Let his love Rule your heart and let nothing steal away your affections from him. Live upon his fullness according to his word and in the sunshine of his love safely and happily as you cleave unto the Lord. And then I love this phrase. What a warning. Never let Satan find you at any distance from Jesus or he will assuredly be too much for you. He is ever on watch to find you wandering, that he may deceive, stumble, and distress you. Therefore, cleave unto the Lord with full resolve of heart. Cleave to him as the ivy to the oak or the child to the mother's breast. 
Now, do you see his point? And you see what Barnabas is up to, too. It's, it's, it's not enough to preach Jesus and believe in Jesus, but once you believe in Jesus, to cleave ever more to the Jesus that's preached. Right? Once you have your baptism, you're not done with the Christian life, and somebody says, you know, we baptize you up here in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Off you go. Because as soon as off you go, that's when the evil one finds a little bit of space between Jesus and you, and that's when we're in trouble. Are you cleaving to Jesus? Or is it just a Sunday thing? How are you going to cleave to tomorrow's Monday? How are you going to cleave to Jesus? What's happening in your life on Tuesday? Are you going to cleave to Jesus? Do you have a plan to cleave to Jesus? Do you see what I mean? Finally, last statement. We'll look at there in verse 26. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, at this point, believers have been called a lot of things. And first they were called disciples, and uh, then they were called saints, meaning the holy ones or people set apart. Uh, people had been, uh, followers of Jesus had been sort of taken out of the world. That's what saints meant. Uh, then it was believers, and then it was brothers to show that Jesus uh, wasn't building a sect or a social club, but he was actually building a family. And now finally, Christians. Now, almost all scholars agree that this was not a name that Christians gave to themselves, but rather it was actually a name of ridicule given to them by, by, by the world, if you will. It was what we would call a slur. Who are these people who are always going on and on and on about Jesus? Right? Um, all they do is preach Jesus. They talk about the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Can you believe they even talk about this thing called the resurrection of Jesus, which we'll hear about next week? These Christ followers, right? These in Christ people, these Christians. But maybe more than that, they had to be called Christians. They had to be called Christians. And here's why. The reason that Barnabas was sent, the reason that the world for the first time called them Christians, was that for the first time in history, first time in in history, people were crossing borders. People are crossing boundaries and and they're jumping over sociological, cultural walls to worship together. To worship together. Over in chapter 3, just keep your finger in there. Over in chapter 3, we're not going to look at this. We're going to look at it a couple of weeks. But verse 1 has a list there of five leaders. And if you study their names, they represent three continents and four racial groups. Now, the reason that this is so important is that most people today, and I'm not talking about in that day, you know, 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about today. Sociologists think this way. The reason it's so important is that that, that most people think that religion is a function of your culture. That's what scientists would say. Whatever it is you believe, some of you are Christians, and this group over here is this, and this group over there, it's a function of your culture. It's just an outgrowth of your culture. That's all that it is. That religion just sort of bubbles up from our collective cultural artifacts, depending on where we grew up. And maybe there's a sort of an emphasis on this today too. Maybe it's even the shared genetics that you have in a certain part of the world that actually makes you 
think the way that you do such that you clutch onto or some 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 myth story you see is something that's important to you. And we've had this. People talk this way, right? I'm Presbyterian because I'm Scottish or I'm a Muslim because I'm Bosnian or I'm Roman Catholic because I'm Italian. And that's the way that the world sees it. And at first, we'd have to say that when the world saw the earliest Christians, they were all Jewish. That's who they were. And they were worshiping a Jewish Messiah. And the Ephesians were over here worshiping the gods of, 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 of the Ephesus. And the Greeks were worshiping the Greek gods. And the Romans were worshiping the Roman gods. And the Jews were worshiping the Jewish god. But suddenly, suddenly for the first time, by preaching Jesus, people were being brought together across cultures. They're leaving their country. They're leaving their the, the, the affinity they have for this group who speaks their language this way, and they're coming toward people that, you know, some people are wearing funny robes, and other people have hair that is different, and some people have darker skin color. But, but Jesus is being preached, and they're all going the same direction. And, they, and they're willing to risk their life for it. They're, 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 they're jumping over the walls of culture to say, but I heard Jesus preach, and he's, he's in my heart. I, I, I'm a Christian, you see. This has never been seen before, ever. This goes deeper, you see. And so the world was forced to come up with a different name because this wasn't that Jewish religion or that Greek religion or the Indian religion or the Chinese religion because this is deeper than culture. Uh, Here, do you see it, was a reality and a truth that isn't culturally constructed at all. It was based on a truth claim, a truth claim in, 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 in time, a truth claim in history, a truth claim that has, has, has witnesses to it. And those witnesses at this time are still alive and, 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 and they saw it. So that the guy who came in on a, on a real donkey, on the real fall of a donkey on Palm Sunday and died on a wooden cross that when you bang it, sounds just like that because it's wood. And, 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 and thousands saw him rise again. And, and, he, and he's not a wise teacher. He's not a mythical figure. He's not a Confucius, a healer, a soothsayer. But he is a man who is God. That's what brought people together. But maybe most of all, when you preach the truth about Jesus by the hand of the Lord, Christians, when Christians believe, they start to produce Christian fruit, their faith, faiths, if you will. Isn't it amazing that as soon as these former pagans, these these Gentile Christians, hear the physical needs of Jewish people back in Judea, who also believe in Jesus, they send money to the needy brethren in Judea, who speak a different language than they do, and look probably different than they do, and dress probably different than they do, but they believe Jesus too. It's fascinating. Um, Tim Keller says that the density, I don't, I don't know where he gets his numbers, but the density in Manhattan per acre is approximately 100 people. And you think about Manhattan, the average size of a, of a, of a building in Manhattan is seven stories, some many, many higher and some, some shorter than that, right? So there are high rises in these cities. The density of Antioch at this time was 200 people. And there were no high rises. Worse than that, there were no bathrooms. Right? And so people, people get sick with some regularity in a place like that. And, 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 and so actually when people get sick, when the density is like that, 
they knew enough that we could all get sick with the sick person. So you know what they did with sick people in a place like Antioch? They put them out on the street. But when the Christians moved into town, they took them off the street and they took them in. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because they knew that preaching Jesus to the sick gave the sick and dying something that no other religion could possibly give. The assurance that when they did die, they'd have Christ. That they'd have eternal life. Because to live is Christ and even to die is gain. So they preached Jesus to the people that were on the street and could go nowhere else and they brought them inside. So that to be a Christian then is not merely to preach Jesus, to believe Jesus, to cleave to Jesus, but to live for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, are you living for Jesus? Friends, your Christianity, the fact that you too are called Christian, it has to mean something. Doesn't mean anything that you're actually a Christian. Would anyone know? Would anyone know enough about you to accuse you of being a Christian? Are you quirky enough? Are you weird enough? Not because of the socks you wear, Cliff, but but because you because you because you preach Jesus, right? Because that's what you talk about. Are are we weird enough? Are we? Because that's how people know we're a Christian. We all need to grow in this. Not one of us can say otherwise. Are you someone who does everything for the master's glory? Because that's what a Christian is. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we thank you for um, your word and um, its, it's, its wonder, its beauty, its simplicity, but its utter power. So that, 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 that people who barely maybe can even speak well the language of another um, by preaching Jesus can come go from death to life, or that as we see with these Greek speakers that they, they don't have all the they don't have all this Bible knowledge they have no categories they don't have they don't have ideas of covenant and they don't know ideas of creation and they don't know uh, who the patriarchs are but by preaching Christ and Him crucified they they, they come they, they come to faith such that all they want to hear about is who the patriarchs are and how they spoke of Jesus. And so, Lord, make us like that too, that we would be known for speaking about Jesus. Pour out your spirit on us just like you laid your hands, your never departing hands on the church in Antioch. And may we glorify you by being people who go by the name Christian because we preach Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this table is a table for those people who have that name Christian. And uh, the reason for, for that is, is a number of things. Of course, you may be persecuted for being a Christian. We want you to know why that is before you come to this table. To be a Christian, that means you, you, you confess that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus, and, 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 and therefore Jesus was preached to you and you embrace the Jesus preached to you and that, that, that he's the one that died for your sins and rose again from the dead for your salvation. So that this table is about that. If you're not there yet, this is like just like one of those moments we were just reading about in Acts chapter 11. We're, we're, we're today telling you about Jesus and we want you to come to Jesus. And, and, and so if you have a question about Jesus, come up afterwards so that we can talk about that together. 
There's some prayers in the bulletin uh, for you as well. For those of us who do claim to be Christian, uh, sometimes it's hard in an instant. You know, we, we walk, you walk out of here today and you're thinking, well, I want to preach Jesus. How do I know how to preach Jesus? What's the way to do that? And one of the ways that we've done that throughout church history is we've, we have these catechisms and these creeds and confessions, and they are awfully good. They are not the Bible, but they're wonderful condensations such that, you know, if you're in a pinch and you've got one of these, you know, in the back of your Bible and you just need to remember some basic truths, that the people throughout history have said, these are the important things about Jesus. That's a way to capture it. And I can recommend the Heidelberg Catechism that we'll use today. So let's do this together. Let's remind ourselves what it is we believe when we believe in Jesus. Christians, what do you believe? I believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them, by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because Christ his Son. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and saves us from our sins, even as salvation cannot be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for any salvation anywhere. I believe that the Holy Spirit is eternal God and that he has been given to me personally so that by true faith he makes me share in Christ, his blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. If I could ask the servers to come forward.